When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, so how was the Labour Cup for you? The Labour Cup was, um, it was cool. It really was. Um, it was a really good, fun few days. It was quite one-sided. We we're missing a lot of big guns. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, but it was good. It was good fun. It's interesting. It's my first time being involved in the Labour Cup. Um, and I really like it. I really like the format. Um, actually sitting down and, and as I say, properly being involved. I like the format. I like the event. There's definitely some things that I would, I would, change as it were um for me to to make it better i do think that um it's in a different era now that you're post the big guys playing and what's gonna happen there of course Fe- i mean federer got the biggest cheer of anyone anytime he was on the screen because he was in the front seat of course so like how can he be involved or is he gonna stay above it all or how it's gonna evolve will be interesting because i i think there is potential for wrong decisions to be made or for action not to be taken and then for it to start to fizzle a little bit. Um, Or there's the potential, I think, to get it really, really right and and it really take off. I think it's been good up until this point. But as I say, you've had Federer, uh, Nadal, Murray, Djokovic. You've had somebody in there each year. Um, And then, yeah, now it's going to be fascinating, I think, in the direction it goes. But it was good fun. I, I think for me, the question is, what is it? I think that I think a lot of people are struggling with what what is it and what should it be, and I think that came to a head with Felix Ogelias and Gail Monfils, who seemed to be on court having a discussion as to what is yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Monfils said I was told I could come here and have fun, and Felix was like, "I've been told this is the most important match of my life." <laughs> so, uh, so there you go. Um, and there was a, a bit of a clash. Most of it happened in French, so I wasn't quite there. I, I needed you there to help me, but I, I didn't quite know what was going on. But um, yeah, it was also difficult because for Monfils. You can understand, right? Firstly, he's just come off the back of UTS in Frankfurt, which is a full exhibition, as in no one really is that bothered about the results. It's just about entertainment. And of course, Monfils is breakdancing and doing his thing, right? So I get it. So he was fresh off the back of that. So maybe still sort of in that spirit. Um, although look, he wasn't breakdancing or anything <laughs> at Labour Cup. It, I think it was a, a, I think the initial confusion was about uh, him taking too long and that sort of stuff. But there was no shot clock. So... You know, there we go. Um, but yeah, so I think possibly he'd come from there. So still a little bit more in that mindset. But then also if you're Gail Monfils, you're going, hang on a minute, I've been selected. I'm ranked 142 and I've won a handful of matches this year. How serious can this thing be? Like that is a realistic response. I know Monfils is Monfils and he's a big name, but in terms of being competitive, you, would that necessarily happen? I don't know. But then you're, you're you're getting Monfils in by saying, hey, Gail, come and join us. It's a lot of fun. We're going to sort of muck around to a degree and this and that. But but that's not what the Labour Cup is is billed as. So I'm sort of thinking, does it... I don't know, a lot of people saying in, in the aftermath, more doubles. You know, doubles is, is the really fun stuff. Should it be... 
should it be an exhibition? And there's nothing wrong with an exhibition. I think sometimes think, well, we're not going to take it seriously because it is an exhibition. I mean, should it, do you see its future as, should it be a really good exhibition? Or is it a very serious event that we need to be taken seriously? In that case, you've got to think about who takes part and how it's structured. And it just, it, it feels a little entertaining, but it feels a little bit confused. Yeah, and it, it could be either, really, to be honest. And, and, and that is quite exciting. I think it could be very successful as if it went either way. Um, for me, I think it stems from the captains. And of course, this Borg-McEnroe thing, totally get it. But McEnroe lost four in a row. And if you compare it to the Ryder Cup, Solheim Cup, which is what it is supposed to be compared to, or any major sporting event, if you lose four in a row, you, you're getting a new captain. <laughs> you're, not, you're not making it that far. I mean, if you mess up the Ryder Cup, that is a massive stain yeah. on, especially if you were supposed to win and you didn't like uh, what happened to Bjorn Borg last year. Um, you know, on paper, they should have won and then they, they got, um, and then they lost at home in London. You know, that's so I feel like there's no consequence to it so of course yes McEnroe absolutely loves to win as he has but I'm not sure the losses are are as impactful if you know what I mean and I think for me I think that's the biggest thing as in if you lose four in a row or if you lose on a year where you shouldn't lose or if you get absolutely wiped like Bjorn Borg's team just did when they shouldn't have really um like they just a lot of them didn't perform very well team world everybody performed to an amazing level um then it's like well what's the he 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 just says yeah we'll try again next year and it's like will will you will you be back you're going to be back so i understand it's borg and mackerel how can you fire borg or mackerel but do you know see what i mean that for me is like it can't be a proper competition un- unless there are Unless there's something on the line, there's something at stake. Yeah, that, that's when it feels a bit more exhibition-y because, yes, Borg and Macro, amazing names, amazing rival, amazing <sighs> to have them. But as you say, there's no consequence. And, and Borg, he's he, he's not the loudest of, of captains on the sideline, is he, to put it mildly? I just... No, it, it, I don't think he said much at no, all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's beyond Borg, but he's not. I just... That's when, again, it feels this bit of a hybrid. It's not sure... What it's trying. I think you're right. If it was a fully serious Felix Ogilvy this is the most serious match of my life. Then you mix up the captains, and someone gets it who I don't know is going to put everything into, it or maybe deserves it, or puts the name forward to be captain, or maybe you get Federer and Nadal in as as captains. I I don't know how you have them, but I don't know who's team world out of that. But maybe you just it doesn't matter where the captain comes from. But it just I I don't know. I, as I say, I think it's. It's it's a lot of fun and it's fun to watch, but but it was fun to watch this. And I'm working on the Rugby World Cup at the moment, so I've, I've kind of been watching. So at the beginning of the Rugby World Cup, I had the Davis Cup and I had the Rugby on, and then I had, was having a bit of Labour Cup and the Rugby on. But it, it, I lost a bit of interest once the scoreline went quite one-sided. I was kind of done, which sounds awful as a tennis fan. But I was like, oh. Then I was just relying on your voice notes to tell me what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think the the main unique selling point is is the interactions on the bench is the coaching that you hear so i've i've changed my opinion of quite a number of players just by seeing oh, like how who? they talk about matches like so it's it's just really fast so felix for example he was incredibly vocal on a very loud team world you got the likes of tfo paul you've got chris you i mean eubanks was fantastic in terms of his analysis as well but it was so interesting and then sometimes it clashed you know eubanks told tommy paul to go more middle 
like, oh yeah, just hit through the centre of the court. I think he was playing it's Casper Rude, and and Tommy Paul was like, nah, nah, <laughs> not going to do that. Um, but I think that's the 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 real interesting bit and even when McEnroe of course McEnroe is constantly banging on about go to the net go to the net (laughs) go to the net but like that's for me is the best bit you know at the changeovers and listening to that and you get nothing from Borg Uh, and that's just how he is and I'm sure he does plenty of this stuff behind the scenes but when there's a camera in his face he doesn't want to say anything I I guess that's the thing we got a lot from Thomas Enquist and you've got other other people there you know that I find interesting like I want to know how they speak about each other. So Team World, they were all completely together on Andre Rublev. He hates defending on his backhand. Just go do that. You know, do you know what I mean? And it's just that sort of stuff that they feel when they're on the court. And, you know, you just don't get a chance to, to hear it. Um, and, you know, look, if Roger Federer was, say, the Team Europe captain, we would get to hear that insight from him. And that would be like gold dust because we don't know really what they think. No one ever really talks that much about it in tennis in terms of general tactics. No one would ever say about Rublev, like, oh, well, his defensive backhand's rubbish. But that's what they think, yeah. but they would never say that. You know, you'd, look, we're talking about top 10 players, talking about other top 10 players here, levels, right? <laughs> it's clearly not rubbish, <laughs> but you know what I mean? So I think that's the number one thing, but that has to have purpose, which means that it has to be worth something. It can't just be an exhibition because the, then the information doesn't matter. So I think it needs to be sort of really, as I say, there needs to be something at stake and you need to have captains or vice captains, because Enkvist was doing a lot of this work on, on Team <laughs> Europe. You need to have captains or vice... I mean, Patrick McEnroe didn't get up from the bench once. He didn't get involved <laughs> at all because John had it all under control uh. and so did the other players. So it's different styles, which is fine, but you have to have someone able to impart wisdom that we're really interested in. I think if um, if if Roger Federer was your Team Europe captain because he's retired, who would be your nomination for Team World's captain if it has to be a retired player? Roddick maybe I think if um yeah if you took if you took Johnny Mac if you took Mac and Borg out then yeah I think um Roddick would be the go-to I think Roddick Del Potro is also another good one do you do you think Del Potro would be vocal enough I think so I think no but I think it's quite interesting in this like you do see different sides come out I mean Felix it was so funny because as I say in such a loud team world everybody's just super relaxed and you know there's a lot of americans and there were five americans plus milos um <laughs> and then you've got obviously the two american captains and then you had francisco sarundalo who had a whale of a time he was he i think he was the only one who wasn't from the states or canada and uh he just absolutely loved it he played brilliantly as well um but felix of course he's so different to everybody else right he's so he's just so ultimately professional and thoughtful and methodical and then you know he just sort of lets loose and by the end of it he was sat in the change room smoking a cigar <laughs> down in champagne it's great what a transformation in three days i think you you just got to join him in the i think in the end he thought i've just got to get involved i've just got i've just got to join him but it it's it, look it's going to be interesting to see what changes you feel they have to make changes but what whether it, as i say it's the captains or i mean roger federer named his sort of ideal team europe for next year and i i thought personally it was a little bit harsh that only rublev i love rublev but only rublev kept his place so that the competition hadn't even finished and he'd replaced the whole of team europe barring andre rublev well to be fair the top 5 in the world are all from team europe and none of them played so like rublev was the top player for team europe and he's ranked number 6 so 
it, that's quite extraordinary i think when it comes to you know, who who they're they're being able, they're able to put on the team and and it it was it was difficult for sure i think for for team europe to get the team that they wanted it's 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 just it's hard isn't it because we've this might lead very nicely onto something else i wanted to chat about this week because it's such a busy calendar and players have got to look at their schedule and i guess they've got to look at things like this what are they doing it for they're doing it for points are they doing it for prize money are they doing it for profile are they doing it because they want to have a lot of fun because the calendar is non-stop and this is something that's been highlighted at the moment with Elena Rabakina talking about performance buys and actually withdrawing from a tournament saying in Tokyo saying that her body's not quite ready but ultimately the conversation began and it's something we haven't we were talking about this normally we just press record and do the pod but it's something we were chatting in the build-up to this because I hadn't really heard a lot about performance buys before Rebecca brought it to the attention of the world by writing on Instagram that she didn't have a buy in Tokyo as the third seed because it was done on performances and she hadn't played the tournament before. They're not 100% new, but nobody knew, I didn't know, and I don't. it seems like no one else really knew that it was happening. And Rebecca didn't know, so I guess the players weren't aware, the coaches weren't aware, media didn't seem to be aware that it was just all of a sudden brought in. So it sort of felt like a little bit of a panic and a bit of a reaction to the the weaker field in Guadalajara for a 1,000 event. It was incredibly weak, you know, that... that that's just how it is. Um, and it felt like a... I think that's probably why this went down poorly with Rubakina because it felt like it was a punishment. It felt like they were saying, no one's turned up to Guadalajara, so we're going to do performance buys and the players that did well in Guadalajara, they can ha- they can be awarded their buys. They can, they can reap the benefits. You know what I mean? That's how it sort of came across because of the timing of it, the fact that this there was no sort of build-up, no announcement, no one knew it was going to happen. It felt really out of the blue and like a reaction um, to that tournament. And and the thing is, is that that may not have been the case. It might have been completely coincidental because because the way that it's actually pitched is it's much more of a reward thing and it's just about getting from one tournament to the other and uh, and it incentivizes, it incentivizes players to play um, a slightly more... Um, dense schedule um to go from one place to the other obviously Guadalajara is quite an anomaly in terms of where it is you know this we're in the Asian swing that's where we are but they're playing in Guadalajara it's not in Asia (laughs) so and it's two weeks after the US Open which is the end of the American swing so I love Guadalajara I think the tournament's amazing the two events we've had two big events we've had there recently have been fantastic I get it but this is it it feels very shoehorned in and I can totally understand players not wanting to play Um, and then off the back of that to say to Rebecca oh well because you didn't play you're not getting a bye is you know it's quite I don't know it's, it's it's it that's I think that's why it went down in a bit of a in a bit of a negative way I don't know now, as, as we've said, that they're not new, and a lot of chatter on social media said sort of on the on the notes of the tournament, it, it did talk about performance buys and that they would be allocated. But for me, it seems, and I sort of get it from a tournament and a tour's point of view, they want the players turning up. They want the best players turning up. They want each event wants the big players at their event. But at the same time, I feel, I, you might disagree with this, but I feel it quite unfair on the player because shouldn't the player 
be allowed to play their schedule as to how they're feeling. So it almost feels if if you don't feel, if you didn't play an event because you didn't feel quite right, you're therefore being punished and then you're having to play through and and that could be more damaging so so basically I I don't understand how you how you find a level there because you've got individual contractors thinking crikey I'm going to be punished if I don't play this tournament but if I play this tournament it's not good for my body and the tournament is saying well we're going to do this because we want players in because if we don't get the big players in maybe we lose fans and we lose sponsors to the tournament so I, I don't really see how you how you get a balance it doesn't really seem fair to me on the players yeah it's very difficult um ultimately because if you're the wta you need to sell the product and you need to yeah. have the stars there to sell the product and you need them guaranteed from a long time in advance that you can get so that the tournament has time to get the sponsors in to pay for their prize money for lots of different things and the prize money goes is pushed up every up every year by the WTA because they're trying to close the pay gap between the women and the men. But every time they push that up, that puts more strain on the tournament to find more sponsors to be able to pay for that money. And I know there's a number of tournaments, um, you know, that have just not been able to keep up with, with those increases, even though a lot of people on the outside will look at it and say, well, these increases are way too slow. Like you need to go faster, but it's not about that. You'll lose a lot of tournaments because they just can't finance it. Um, And you could argue Money should come from elsewhere. That's, that's a different conversation, but the structure is as it is at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they have, a, they have a product to sell and they need their players to turn up. And it's really, it, it's, it's difficult when you don't know who's going to play where. That's where it's really difficult. But then you can say that it's tennis's fault, the <laughs> WTA and ATP, for putting on so many bloody tournaments every year. It's every week of the year. It's relentless. It's ridiculous. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's hard. They're already penalised for not playing. Even if you're just legitimately injured, you're penalised for not playing in a lot of tournaments. There are a number of mandatory events and you get a mandatory zero on your on your ranking. Um, so it can have a big impact. But, uh, yeah, it's hard. I, I, saw, I, I see what you're saying in that players should be able to do what they want with the schedule. Um, I don't, I suppose I don't quite buy into that 100%. I think that there does need to be an element of consistency as in like you are expected to play X, Y, and Z. And I think a mandatory zero is a fair way to, to do it. I think that's fine. It becomes difficult when they start coming up with just ludicrous scheduling. Like Guadalajara, it's just not the time for Guadalajara. Like, I'm sorry, it's just it's terrible. Like it's a disaster for that to be to to be happening. Everybody's tired. It's deep in the season, and then you've got what's the difference from the the final eight? Where's that going to be in Cancun? That came out of the blue. Cancun, we were we thought it was going to be in Prague. We were hearing it might be Prague, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> like we're going to Cancun, everybody. And then they've got to get to Seville. Is it Seville for? Yep. The Billie Jean, Billie Jean King, King Cup, Cup finals. And, and you're talking days difference, right? They are flying halfway around the world and expected to play within days. It is, um, it's, it's absolutely brutal. And everybody wants to have a long career, which is understandable. Um, look, the thing is, is that the difference between tennis and other sports, like football, for example, football, you don't have a choice. You are contracted. You play when you're told to play. You don't play when you're told not to play. That's it. It's really just, not, uh, yes, you can have some sort of collaboration. I'm sure people aren't complete you know completely awful all the time but it's the same if you're in f1 or whatever like as in you're you're paid a salary and contracted to do a million and one things and you have to do it um tennis isn't like that the only thing is that you 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 can choose not to go and play in gym wells but you'll take a mandatory zero um so 
there's a bit of give and take, if you know what I mean, because it is different to pretty much all other sports. I suppose golf is fairly similar, but golf has a bit less travel. But um, yeah, there is a lot of freedom and flexibility as a tennis player. I just think it's it's tough because how many times we saw this last year, you get to the WTA, the ATP finals, and you have these broken people who, was it Pagula that didn't win a match or a game or anything at the WTA? You, know, you get these broken individuals that have sort of done everything they can to, to qualify and get there, and there's there's nothing left. And despite having already qualified for the WTA finals, they're still, which a chunk have now, they're still playing tournaments that they have to slash they want to and you get to a point where at the end of the season you've got this sort of showpiece event and added to that the Masters events are longer now so we saw that this year with Madrid and Rome these really long events and and that they the tour could say yes but it it gives them longer in between the matches but at the same time it means they're not switching off I think Igor Svantec said this yes they're longer so you're not playing day in day out but we don't get that rest you know those few days rest when they wouldn't wouldn't have been a tournament. Yeah, it's mad. It's madness that they can think like this. I don't understand. Do they not consult players at all? Who would say that a two-week Grand Slam is oh, is it's fine because we get a day off in between matches? Everybody says it's exhausting to be in that state for two full weeks. Like, why? Who on earth thought that? Like, oh well, they'll get a bit of extra rest between matches. It, <laughs> it's just <laughs> nonsense. Of course, I totally agree with Eager, and I think every player would turn around and be like, no, 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 two-week events are, like, really hard, and everybody's wiped <laughs> at the end of a slam, especially if you've gone all the way. Like, it's, it's you know, and especially with the women, they're playing best of three sets there, and they're playing best of three sets elsewhere, but it's still so much tougher. Well, <laughs> What's wrong with people? How, how about getting rid of buys altogether? Not just performance buys, but why Why do we need, But how often do we see a player, uh, one of the top seeds in a Masters who comes in in the second round and will lose or will really struggle because they've just suddenly come and effectively cold. They're playing someone that's either come through qualifying or had a first round match or they're given to the people that maybe don't need the buy. But I don't know. What, how about we just get... Why do we have buy? Is it just to convince or get the top players in because they'll have a slower slash easier start? How about buys go? Yeah, it, the buys are there to encourage the top players to play more tournaments. Because even if you're going to, say, a 250 event, you're, you know, okay, well, you're not going to start until the Wednesday, sometimes a Thursday. Sometimes, you know, the top players will just play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Those will be their four matches. And you think it's you're so far into the tournament and they haven't even seen them yet. Um, and that's it. And it becomes a short week because it, it's four, four matches, four days. So they are just more likely to come play a 250 and win it. 250 points, it's, it's, that, that's tough to get. Um, you know, that's not easy to get in, in even some of the bigger yeah. events. You still have to go very, very deep and play much, much tougher players. So if you're coming, if you're ranked sort of 12 in the world or 10 in the world, something to a 250, um, you know, that that is helpful for it all to to be condensed and we see that with all the big players it means they can come in later it's just it's it's less work that's ultimately what it is they're having to do less work and that's the benefit of, of being seeded highly i suppose it's just another thing that tips everything in the the better players favor it just it's always like that whether it's 
uh, the fact that they're seeded, so they're going to get better draws because you know, why do you have to have seeds? Why can't you all just go into a hat and just be pulled out one by one and it's fair for everybody? So it's already unfair. It's already weighted towards them. Then, of course, the scheduling favours them. Then they get a buy. Then they get more <laughs> practice time. Um, yeah. They get the practice time that they want. They get a full court. You only get half a court, whatever it is. You know, it, it, it all adds up. It's just another another one i suppose so like, sure you could get rid of it but you could get rid of any of those things that make it unfair i know and the, and the other argument is isn't it that you work this hard so therefore you should reap the rewards of working that hard and having that ranking so this i, I feel we could do about three hours on this and we could end up repeating ourselves <laughs> and and going round because i i can see the argument on the other side of thing i just think it's i don't know i just feel a little bit for the players and their bodies that they're not able to have as much say as to their schedule, despite being the player that she is, Rebecca, and I still feel she's sort of beholden and she can't have the control that maybe she should have. I don't know. I think it's, uh, I don't it's know. The, it's that it came out of the blue, though, isn't it? I think that's the biggest problem It's the communication because, you know, you can understand from the, the WTA's perspective, they've gone, all right, Elena, you, you're Grand Slam champion. You didn't want to come to Guadalajara because you think that it's too much effort and too much strain on your body so that's fine and then you can play an extra match in Tokyo see when you say it like that makes sense that makes sense to me it's like okay so (laughs) so you've 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 let the the other players will be making that journey and will be coming in jet lagged and and late and everything you'll get your main preparation and everything so sure just play an extra round yeah you're still seeded you're still getting it's against Noska but you're not playing the first round against Yontek are you like as in it's just it's an extra match so you're going to do your work there and that's how they're trying to make it fairer so you can totally understand one reason I'm really, really glad that Guadalajara happened and it happened when it did and it was slotted where it was is because Maria Sakkari won it. And we were talking recently on the pod about how distressing it was to see her in tears after a first round loss at the US Open. It was the Greek side of the press conference where she was talking about <clears throat> something needed to change, stepping away. What does she do? And it was the it was the reaction to the fans. It was the love she said that she felt from the fans that kept her going. And yes, we can talk about a disrupted field, a weaker field, but she still had to go out there with everything she's dealing with mentally and, and get the job done. And she got the job done and very happy for her. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, we all love Maria, don't we? She's just such a, yeah. she's such a worker and she really wears her heart on her sleeve and, and you feel like she's very honest with you know what what she's dealing with i mean what was it four years from her last title 20 2015 was her last title 20 no what? 2019 <laughs> 2019 oh. i think 20, so 20, you double check i'll carry so on i think years. it was four, four five years okay so four or five years from her last title and i think people don't understand that you she's been a top 10 player for a large chunk of that and if you think that means every single week she's played she's lost she will always finish on a defeat. And you can you get why that just eats away at you every time you're finishing on a negative. It's a loss. It's a disappointment. For years and years and years, that is brutal. But still, you're being so successful because you're in the top 10, right? It's it's a bit of a weird one to get to get your head around. And sure, yeah, it's a, it's a weaker field. But ultimately, she's played lots of other tournaments, smaller tournaments, where the field has been very similar. And she's still not won those as well. So it's still a big achievement for her to come out on top. Um, and, and be able to take the title anyway. Four years and four months since her last tournament. And a couple of things she said uh, post-match was she wanted to thank her coach, Tom Hill, because that's that's the first and the obvious one, isn't it? It's exactly as she said. People say, well, 
you need to make a change. And and you were talking about that, the Lever Cup and the Ryder Cup. If you don't win it, you're probably going to change the captain. And Maria Sakkari would have got a lot of, well, why didn't you make a change in your coaching team? Because something's obviously not working. She didn't, and they've reaped the reward. And the other thing she said that she was inspired by um, Coco Goff speaking at the US Open. You know, she talked about the haters and basically, I'm going to channel the haters. And she said, look, we live in a world with social media. It's out there. You're going to see what's written. You're going to, you're going to hear what's written. But, you know, she also took that people have bigger problems than just not winning a tennis match. And also, she's going to channel the haters, which she did. And it was, look, she's worked really hard. As we always say with tennis, you can't work quietly. You're working publicly week in, week out in front of a crowd with an opponent out there for all to see. And and she's overcome it. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. I find the haters thing a bit funny. I mean, obviously, there are some awful people on social media. I get it. But yeah. I do also recognize that they are talking about people who commentate on what they do. And I'm not talking about commentate as in necessarily on air, but just comment in general, <laughs> as in it's yeah. it's your job to. Like, it's our job to. I mean, we talked about it with Maria Sakkari. We talked about her potentially changing her coach. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't make us haters. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> I don't I don't see that as negativity. It's 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 an opinion, right? Um, sure. I mean, people saying that they're they're rubbish or I don't know. It's hard because you know, Coco Goff's there going, oh, you know, everyone, you know, people have been talking about my forehand and I, you know, never be strong enough to to win a slam. And it's like, but all of that is is a relevant conversation. I don't think anybody has done anything wrong in having that conversation. I mean, yes, there are other people who would just turn around and say that she's a waste of space, which is, you know, outrageous to say. Um, But yeah, I mean, if they want to use it as fuel, then that's fantastic. But I don't think people should be made to feel bad for having an opinion and, and talking about where people can get to, because ultimately that's what the fans are really fascinated in is the potential of players. You know, I'm asked about every single player and I've, I've got no idea, you know, you, you, you give your, your best uh, take based on certain information, but um, you know, that's part of it is people like the chat around stuff. um, And they, they like to, you know, people do like to be armchair experts and that's, that's just part of, of sport right it, it is that it's just a part of it and I think it's hard because they are individual athletes so they obviously take it all on themselves and they probably do take it quite personally but it's not it's just a professional professional opinion but hey if they use it as fuel to win a slam like Coco did and win her first masters um or to win the master first title in four years and four months like great go for it Someone else I'm very happy for because I think we both have a soft spot for her is Sophia Kennan winning the Australian Open in what, 2020. Then she had a lot of things to deal with. She had a lot of illness. She had a lot of injury. In the last two weeks, she's gone from 93 in the world to 31. I think she's something like eight and two since the US Open. And I like the struts. I like the fact she doesn't look when she tosses the ball. I like the fact that her dad is just going through every emotion. No one ever looks happy in the Kenin camp, in the Kenin world. But I like the attitude. I like the strut. And I, I really like the fact that she's got herself back in, into a good position and she's winning matches and reaching finals. She is. She is. And um, yes, so back into a final. And I think she's definitely back. Not quite back to her best, but it's coming. And it's been painfully slow for her, hasn't it? I don't know wow. how she handled like a full year of just not really being able to win a match at all and trying and really, really trying. And she just couldn't be anyone at all. I mean, how is that possible as a Grand Slam champion? I don't know how you... 
how you can come to terms with that. You can understand your level dropping. I think for a lot of people, you can understand the level dropping from Grand Slam champion to like a 150 sort of level. You need to go through the challenges and stuff. Look, that level is tough. It's really, really hard. And the most dangerous thing you can do is drop down to that level when you are low in confidence. And then all of a sudden you can't win matches there. And then you're you're hitting rock bottom. And a lot of people make that mistake. And um, sometimes it's through, through poor scheduling or maybe not being realistic with where their level is at. And they might come back from an injury and go, yep, I'm going to take my wild cards. I'm going to play tour events. I'm going to get going again. They lose, 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 lose. And then they p- continue on with that, you know, using their protected ranking, do that for the best part of a year, drop down to challenges and they've got no confidence and then they start losing there as well and then and then where do you go you have to start from scratch um for Kenan it was it was slightly different but you know yeah she's had to be really humble about it right you have to you have to just completely start from scratch she has had to claw this back and it's come really slowly as well I think a lot of people think oh yeah but when it clicks then off you go it's like no she had to she came through qualifying at Wimbledon she's there as a grand slam champion playing Wimbledon qualifying it's not even on site it's you know it's a different ground um it's yeah it's hard it's really hard but like the the strike that she has is quality I think to be honest I actually think the only thing holding her back at the moment is her physical side and her fitness um I think that's going to come like her match fitness with the more matches that she played like at Wimbledon she lost to Svitolina I think in the third round maybe and uh she was just toast just physically toast because she'd come through qualies won a couple of matches beating Coco Goff so she was just done so I think as, as as soon as that gets to be at a good level um or at a higher level then she'll she'll be she'll be right back in the mix and she'll be dangerous there are 10 american women in the top 50 now which is absolutely incredible coco goff leading the way now so what's what's next for you work-wise beijing oh lovely beijing starts oh we've oh it's weird right it's weird because it's a i'm doing it for the men it's a thursday to wednesday tournament we start the first round Thursday, oh. finals on Wednesday. Oh, I'd get so confused. I wouldn't know what day it I is. Know. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm going to feel shocker. unwell for the entire thing. Oh. I don't know what's going to go on, <laughs> to be honest. Cool. And that's because it's then Shanghai, which is now a longer event because it's now 10 days. Shanghai like has wanted Shanghai, to be longer like... forever. I mean, (laughs) Shanghai has been gunning to be longer forever and it's finally Thursday to Wednesday. Oh, I'd be I'd be absolutely all over the place with that. (laughs) I have it tough enough with Roland Garros because it starts on a Sunday. (laughs) So I'm always I'm always you're like jet lagged for a few days. You're like, what's happening? I don't know what's so I'm still going on the Rugby World Cup until up until including the final of the Rugby World Cup. But I'm also mixing in in a few weeks time Hong Kong for the WTA. So yeah, by, nice. by by morning, I'll be doing um, Hong Kong. And by evening, at the back end of the week, I'll be doing the rugby. So just doing a little bit of, I did, doing a little bit of mix things, mixing things up. And I was wondering, we were having a chat before we came on air about schools and children and parents and parents sort of asking too much. And we've spoken before about like pushy parents and stuff. I, I think maybe I need to be a bit pushier because the boys have got some... They've got some football trials this evening, and I've been. All I keep saying is, don't expect to get in. 
<laughs> Instead, because I'm t- see, I'm trying to protect them. I think is this wrong? I'm trying to protect them by dampening expectations because they're sort of saying, and it, it's it's a trial associated with a foundation of a club, right? So they're looking at the name of the club, going, "We're going to get in. These players are going to be there." And I just keep rather than those parents that go, "You're going to get in," and if you know if you don't get in, and if you did, I'm kind of like you're not going to get. I say it in a nice way, but I'm kind of is this? Am I doing the wrong thing? I'm I'm trying to protect them by giving them. Wanting them to do their best, but giving them no expectations. Is that wrong? Yeah, I don't know. It, the worst thing you can do is tell them they're going to get in. Well, that's exactly. You exactly. So you're not doing that. No. So that's good. I, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily advise advise that. Look, I'm not I'm not the expert on parenting, must say. But I think you want, you want to say, look, we don't know what the level is going to be like. That is an unknown. Yeah. Yeah. We know what your level is. Yeah. We know that you've got a chance, yeah. got a good chance. Give it your best. So you're going to go, you're going to really give it your best. We're going to make sure you've had a good meal the night before. You've had your, your lovely your breakfast. Yeah. You're ready to go. Um, you know, you give it your absolute best and then we'll see. You've definitely got a good chance. You want to give them positivity, make them feel like it's it's possible. Um, but that it's not definitely going to happen. Because I'm quite a pessimist personally for myself. I'm always a glass half empty. That I'm hoping I'm not sort of putting... So I keep saying things like, you know, it could be a case of... Because as we know, I know how football clubs work. You know, if they've got um, 10 left-footers, 10 left-backs, at a trial, they're going to be looking for some right-sided players. So I said to the boys, it could be as simple as, you're really, really good, but they've got a lot of you in that position, so they might just not need another 10 right wingers or something so yeah of course just, so I'm sort of I'm sort of tapering but I keep but I, I I've done the we don't know what the level is give it your best and one of the boys one of the twins one of the fellas he loves a two-footed tackle from behind and I'm like oh nice I'm like yeah. I know it looks dramatic and you love doing them but could you just not do them this evening can we just not have any two-footed tackle and he kind of <laughs> looks at me grinning I'm like Oh, I'm not sure how this is going to end up. So, yeah, okay, right. A bit more positivity. Yeah, um, just say, just tell them that we don't know what they're looking for. We don't know we, what they're looking we know for. That you, we know that you're playing at a good level. We know that you've got a chance, but, you know, we can't control what they're looking for. It might not be the right time. Or it might be. Right. I might. So let's go and see. I might ring you to do the pre-trial <laughs> chat a little bit later. And if, if I don't ring you, if I manage to get through it then um, we will we will reconvene next week yes perfect all right speak to you then bye <laughs> bye <laughs>